I'm going to continue in Ephesians, and I know this is a little slower process. Um, some guys, you know, will teach, preach the whole book of Ephesians in one Sunday. Uh, I am taking it a little bit slower, and, and there's just so much meat, so much that we can glean from. Uh, I think, the, I think the, some of the youth are going through Ephesians, and I think they've been in Ephesians for how many weeks? A bunch. <laughs> and I think they're just in Ephesians 3. Um, I'm planning on moving a little faster than they are, but uh, I appreciate our youth pastors. They uh, put together a wonderful winter formal for all the uh, kids last night down at Samson Hollow. Yeah. And uh, I have seen all these pictures floating around of these um, beautiful and handsome kids. Um, My... One of my kids stepped out yesterday with a black tuxedo. He looked debonair until I saw his socks. And then there were these light blue, crazy socks on. I'm like, son, really? I knew Dan would lead the charge in that. But um, anyway, no, I, I enjoyed, enjoyed seeing all the kids and, and um, seeing your pictures. You guys did a great job. Thank you again, Billy and Paige, for putting that together. And thank you for all the parents and those who jumped in and supported because these guys can't do it on their own, right? All right, so Ephesians chapter 2. And I, I really had so much more to talk about uh, last week, and I don't want to go back and spend a whole lot of time there, but when it says, it says in verse 7, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. To think of Christ showing through us his grace and mercy to so many others, right? I mean, if you look back at John chapter 1, the word ages is, is really a, a, a time frame. And John kind of goes back and looks at the glory of God from the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God, right? He goes back and shows the glory of God from the beginning. And yet here, the Apostle Paul begins to project the glory of God to the ages to come. And to think that we are a part of the ages to come. We are the ones who are impacting and transforming and influencing those who we come in contact with even now. Imagine that. You are the bearers of the glory of God. You are his inheritance in the saints. You are those who are going out, bearing the marks of Jesus Christ, showing the world what Christ has done in you, and you are the ones, or the message, as Paul cared about. He says, I bear in my body the marks. He was caring about the message of God to the world, and you are now those. Look to somebody and say, I'm one of them. I pray that you are one of those who are caring about this 
powerful message to a world that so desperately needs it. Amen? Amen. Um, if you see me uh, struggling to walk, it's because I've got these new progressive glasses. And I'm on, you know, I look down and I feel like the ground's moving, you know. But it's really good for right here. <laughs> How many of you guys wear progressives? Bless your heart. <laughs> Amen. Amen. <laughs> so, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourself, it is the gift of God. Verse 9, not of works, lest anyone should boast. The verse that we started with last week, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Wow. Remember last week we started with the fact that we that we are his canvas. The word workmanship literally uh, in the Greek is the poeme, which means the poem. We are his literary work that he is working on. You are the orchestration. Think about that. God is writing a beautiful poem for you. Your story is a poem that God is creating and how beautiful that work is. And he's created things even in advance for you to do. He's already been working on your behalf. He already has in mind. It's kind of like looking at a sculpture. It's kind of like uh, thinking about a, a book that you want to write and, and, and already having in mind of how you want to end that story. And you begin to think creatively of all of the plots and all the twists and all the different things that you are working out. God has a story for you. God has thoughts that he has already thought about you, plans to give you a future and a hope according to Jeremiah 29. And we see that God is working these things out. And, and then we come to this place in verse 4 where it tells us, but God, rich in mercy. Think about that. His mercy is so rich and so glorious. And he cares so immensely for you that he wants to demonstrate his love in you. Even according to Romans, that while we were in the darkest places of our life, he loved us and wants to do a work in us. And, and the reality is, is I believe that the Apostle Paul, the, the, the more he drawed near to God, the closer he got to the experience of the presence of God, the more he realized how much of giving even the ugliness of himself over to the Lord allowed the Lord to paint a picture much more beautiful. Too many times I think we walk around with, man, I've done this. And I'll, I'll just be truly real because having served on the mission field, you know, you come back and, you know, people tend to uh, try to glorify you a little bit. Oh, you did what? And I'm going to be real. Doesn't that feel good when somebody likes to pat you on the back? We like it as a part of our human nature. We, we enjoy uh, the encouragement, we enjoy the pats on the back. We enjoy uh, the clamoring a little bit. But yet, 
For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourself is a gift of what? Gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. It's so easy for us to get caught up in the pats on the back. It's so easy to, in our flesh, to get caught up in doing things in order to gain something. But yet, the Lord lays out something so powerful for us. And really, this is a somewhat of a long-time discussion in the church. The sovereignty of God and the hum- human responsibility of mankind. The sovereignty of God... And what is our responsibility within the plan that God's laid before us? Reality is, is that both concepts are something that we need to recognize are spiritual and biblical. Both are taught in scriptures. Where man seems to find error is when we begin to look at one thing without recognizing the other. Or when we begin to put on a pedestal. One thing versus the other. What do I mean? When we begin to think that we have no responsibility and God is just going to take us and, and, and we don't have to worry about anything. In other words, he's already chosen who's going to be saved. And so in other words, why do anything? The other side of that is, is I've got to do everything I can so that I can be saved because I don't know if I'm going to be saved or not. We begin to highlight those two. And we see even throughout the, the church error, the church history, we see those two prevalent ideas within various church movements. Some have made it all about the works and the traditions and following the rules. Even in our movement, it became erroneous. Not that we found that we needed to be saved by those things, but it became so strict about you got to do this and you got to do that and you can't do that. And that became the forefront of preaching rather than the truth of Scripture. It became more prominent about preaching about how someone dresses and how their hairstyle was and if they're wearing makeup or jewelry and if they did this or if they went over there. And all of that became the priority of preaching for several years. And yet, we have scripture that God's given us to look. For by grace you are saved. I mean, that displays the sovereignty of God, doesn't it? For by grace you are saved. By the grace of God, we're saved. That is the sovereign act of God. We are are incapable of... Of saving ourselves. There's nothing we can do to earn salvation. Right? Look to somebody and say, I can't pay for it. There's nothing you can do. I mean, even the Apostle Paul rebuked Simeon the sorcerer because he was going around seeing, hey, I want to buy this gift that you're doing. And the reality is it's not something we can purchase. It's not something that we can work our way into heaven doing. In other words, it is only by the grace of God and the sovereignty of God that I am saved. I can't earn it myself. Right? Amen? It is 
Once again, I wrote in the spiritual language here, and I'm trying to decipher the spirit. <laughs> it really brings about a discussion that, that is elaborated on at the end of Ephesians chapter 2. And it brings about a dichotomy because he's talking about Israel who, who consider themselves as the people of God, and, and yet they were Gentiles of the flesh. In other words, look, whether you felt like you had a right to be in heaven or whether you didn't, both sides need Jesus Christ. Both sides need the grace of God because no matter how religious you've been, no matter how much you have followed the law, no matter how many burnt offerings or sacrifices you've made, it doesn't make you righteous. It is a faulty system. It only helps you recognize that you need a Savior. The law brings us to the understanding that I am a sinner and I need something to save me. And that something is Jesus Christ who gave himself on the cross of Calvary so that I can be a new creature in Christ Jesus. Jesus, it tells us in verse 14, that he broke down the walls. He broke down the barriers and the gulf between the religious and the gulf between those who felt like they were afar off and strangers has now been brought together as one under the blood of Jesus Christ, under the guise of who he is, Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. We are now have access and entrance into the Holy of Holies, not because of what we've done, but we enter in through the the veil of his flesh which he was let allowed to be rent and torn and bled on the cross of Calvary so that we have that access amen amen salvation comes to me through the grace of God there is nothing that I can do to deserve it there's nothing that I can do to earn it there's nothing I can do to pay for it it is only by the love and grace and mercy of God that I have access to the throne room of God This is something that God does for me. But then I see this phrase, through faith. Through faith. Faith is my part. Faith is just believing the promises of God concerning my salvation. I look into Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. It says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 10 goes on and says, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You know, the, the thing that I see in our Americanized Christianity is that there is a head and heart disconnect. There is, there's this idea that I say it, but my actions don't prove it. There's this idea that I know it, it has, I have a head knowledge of this, and, and, and the, the idea is that there's a, a majority of the population of the United States has a head knowledge about Scripture, but yet they don't have a heart knowledge because they don't live it out. Right? If I believe something, if I believe something, it will change my actions. I can talk about something all I want to, but until it becomes a heart thing, until I truly believe it, it doesn't change the way I act. Now look, when I was a kid, 
I never got in trouble. Okay, I'm, I'm sorry. When I, when I was a kid, I was always in trouble. <laughs> Disinformation again. And so the thought was is that if I knew that my dad would find out about something I did, I was really more prone not to do it because I knew what would be waiting on me when he found out, right? I believed that there was a result that would take place from my actions when I got home, right? I never liked when mama said, you just wait till you get home. I never liked that. You wait till I tell your daddy. (laughs) Really, mom? I thought we were friends. (laughs) But, But because I knew, I believed and knew that he would be true to his word. I knew that if I did something, that tongue was going to come out and that head was going to shake and it was not going to be a pretty sight. And I would have a tanned portion of my body. When we believe something, it changes how we operate. When we believe that Jesus Christ is the Redeemer, it changes something in us. When we believe that there is a heaven and a hell, it changes something. Because I don't want to go to hell. I remember as a young kid, and, and you've heard me tell the story. As a young kid, I would come home, be dropped off by the bus, and my parents had a couple more hours before they would get home. And, and I would sit there by myself, and, and after a while, I would begin to think, you know, we were... We, I was drugged to church. Every time the church was open, I was there. I knew all about God. And, and, and so one day I was sitting there, and I didn't see anybody. I looked around the backyard. I didn't see anybody, the neighbors. I mean, I didn't see any movement around the community. And I'm thinking, oh, God, the rapture's taking place. <laughs> I called my mom's work, and, and, and it rang and rang and rang, and nobody answered. Oh, Lord. I mean, here I was, you know, just a, a, a small... Young guy, probably eight years old, nine years old, and I'm, I'm laid out in the living room on the floor, you know, God, forgive me. Come and get me. If you've taken them, Lord, please come back and get me, right? Y'all have never done that. But there was something in me that had a belief that the Lord's coming back. And it began to stir in me, look, look, am I living the way I should? Am I living how I should be living? Am I walking how I should be walking? Am I, am I drawing near to God like I am supposed to be doing? Am I doing these things? My belief system. Peter shows us the place of faith in the work of God on my behalf. Just by the way, um, they say you get more of what you praise, right? My wife has learned that about me a long time ago. There's code. If I do something good, she's always, man, I appreciate you doing that. 
and, and she's got me, she's got me, you know, took her 27 years, but I'm, I'm pretty good. <laughs> Peter shows us this. First Peter chapter one, verse three says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again in other words, we've been reborn to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 4, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Verse 5, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last times. I love the way the New Living Translation portrays this. It says, and that's verse 5. It says, and through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive the salvation which is ready to be revealed on the last day of all these things. Our faith is important. Our faith has to be activated. No wonder the Bible uh, includes as a part of the armor of God the shield of faith because it is the faith that we have in God that protects us unto salvation, that prepares us and makes a way for us for salvation. I love the way it continues on in verse 6 through 9 in the New Living Translation of 1 Peter chapter 1. It says, so be, so be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. I got a few amens on that. Because we don't like to hear that part. Well, wait a minute. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure Many trials for a little while, verse 7 says, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It, talking about your faith, is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. What will we say? Well done, right? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the glories of the Lord, right? Well, verse 8 goes on and says, you love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him in him and you rejoice with a glorious inexpressible joy verse 9 finishes that phrase and says the reward of trusting him will be the salvation of your souls the new king james says it this way receiving the end of your faith the salvation of your souls amen i've been born again we, those who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, who've confessed with their mouths and believed in their heart, have been born again. We really had nothing to do with our first birth. Amen. And we really don't have much to do with our second birth. I mean, because John said it this way, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Right? I have a living hope. How many have hope in this place? I have a living hope. 
a hope in my Lord, a hope in my Savior. I, I have an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled, that it doesn't fade away. It is reserved for me in the heavenlies, in heaven. Come on, right? And, and I have this all because of a faith I have in the Lord Jesus Christ who, who, who gave me access to his throne. I am kept, I'm being kept by the power of God through faith. What is the strategy of Satan that is used against the people of God today? In reality, it's the same strategy that he used in the beginning when he went to Eve and began to give the disinformation, right? When he began to tell, if you eat of this, will you surely die? Right? He began to try to influence her and, and try to breed doubt and conjecture into what God had told them that they, they should do and what they should say. The scheme has always been to discredit truth, to discredit God, right? I mean, in my almost 50 years of life, Lord help us, there has there's been a massive push to discredit the Bible. A massive push. I mean, think about movies that have come out that, that are very entertaining and, and all of that, but yet they're used to breed doubt and fear and to try to water down truth. Think of movies like The Da Vinci Code and some of these others who've literally tried to wipe out or try to bring doubt into the truth of God's Word. It's all over the place. And it seems to be getting worse as we see the day approaching. There's such a drive to take out, to try to take the Bible and try to bring controversy and try to take it out of schools and try to take it out of, of public places because, because they, the enemy knows it's truth, it's powerful. The enemy knows that in that everything else will fail, but the word of God will stand forever. And if he knows, if he can discredit, if he can get you not to look at it, if he can get you to turn away from it, if he can get you not to study this word and get into your heart, because he knows it is the lamp under your feet and a light in your path. He knows that this word is, is what brings sanctification. He knows this word gives us the roadmap to heaven and salvation and life forevermore. The enemy knows how important and powerful it is for faith and for people to believe. That's why if you look at societies of, that have dictators, one of the first things they squash is religion. Think of North Korea, for example. People aren't allowed to have a Bible. People aren't allowed to study the Word of God. China. Although, think about this, and this is an oxymoron. China prints more Bibles than any place in the world, yet nobody can have one. Because when we have a hope, when we have a faith, it breeds a hope, and that hope gives us an, an encouragement that we will endure through whatever it takes. 
We will have a perseverance that we will persevere through whatever trial, whatever hardship comes because we know that this is not our ultimate end. We have a home in glory. We have a a name written in glory and it's ours. We know that this is not our reward. Our reward is in heaven. So we have a hope and the enemy is trying to squash our hope. But God's part is to save me. My part is to believe that he will, right? What does it mean to be saved? It's a great question. Have you asked that question lately to anybody? What does it mean to be saved? We tell people, you need to be saved. What does it mean to be saved? What does it mean? Well, I mean, that's a whole lot of story right there. It means that I'm saved from. I'm saved from being dead in trespasses and sin. I'm saved from being controlled by the ways of the world that is being influenced and directed by the prince of the air, Satan himself, right? I'm saved from being a slave to the lusts of my flesh. I'm saved from being a a, a slave to the lust of my mind, right? I'm saved from the sinful nature that was destined for the wrath of God, for the wrath of God, and the wages of sin is death. I'm saved from death, hell, and the grave. Amen? But I'm also saved for something. I'm saved because I have been raised from the state of death of my sins to being alive in Christ Jesus. Paul said it this way in, in Romans chapter 6 and 11. He said, I consider myself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. I think that should be a daily prayer that we have. I am dead to sin and alive to God. When I wake up in the morning, I'm dead to sin and I'm alive to God. Come on, somebody. I crucify this flesh daily. I die daily. I lay aside every weight that so easily entangles me. I am dead to sin and alive to God. Amen. Amen. Woo. Hallelujah. Y'all about to get me to run. I mean, I'm saved. I've been seated with Christ in heavenly places. I have been saved for the glorious future and eternity of blessings from the the grace and the kindness and the love of God toward me. That's what we're saying. That's what saved means. And it says in this Ephesians 2 and 8, that not of yourself. That not of yourself. It is a gift of God. Was that refer to our faith or to being saved? And I would say, yes. (laughs) Right? There are some, as I said earlier, there are some absolutists that would say that, that because faith is a gift of God, then therefore it is God who dictates my choice. But yet I don't believe, I believe that God gives us a choice. We have the faith to be able to make a choice, but it's still a choice I have to make. He made a way. He, by his mercy and by his grace, he has now given me a faith, but I have to use that faith to trust him. Oh boy, right? Well, let's just give you a few verses to help you with that. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 tells us that 
He is the author and the finisher or perfecter of our faith. Right? Romans chapter 12 and 3 says, Paul tells us that God has dealt to every man a measure of faith. Somebody look at somebody and say, you've got a measure. Every one of us have been given a measure of faith, a, a sample, if you will, of faith. But even the Word of God encourages us to grow that faith, right? God's given us a measure of faith, but what do we do with that faith? Jude chapter 1 and 20 says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. James chapter 2, starting with verse 18, says, But someone Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Verse 19, you believe that there is one God. You, you do well. Even the demons believe and they tremble. But you, but do you want to know, O oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? And then in that same lineage of scripture in James he begins invoking Abraham understanding that Abraham had faith it was accounted until him as righteousness I have a choice to believe or not to believe or else or else all encouragements to exercise that choice is meaningless if I don't have a choice then what does it mean why am I here I have a choice he has given us faith with the intention of action. I mean, think about the parable in Matthew chapter uh, 25, verse 22. And he gave them the talents, right? This is the parable of the talents. He gave one five talents. He gave another one two talents. And he gave another one one talent. And so they were supposed to go and multiply, right? In other words, God gives us a gift to be used for the kingdom of God. And therefore, he honored those who produced. And the one who went and buried it and did nothing with it, they had a faith. They had a talent. They'd been given by God, but they buried it. And guess what he did? He took it away from him and gave it to the other one. And he cast him away and he says, that they would go were weeping and gnashing of teeth. We have a, a responsibility to the faith that we've been given. We have a responsibility to walk out that faith. That doesn't seem popular because, oh man, once I'm saved, I don't have to do anything. Nothing can take me away from that. No, I'm going to tell you something. Absolutely nothing can but you. Because just as you have a choice to walk into a relationship with God, you have a choice to walk out of a relationship with God. You ever heard of divorce? People walk into relationships too often with a mindset of, if I don't like it, I can get out of it. And many times we see people who have divorced God, walked away. From God's plan. Deuteronomy chapter 
30, verse 19, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and cursings. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. You have a choice. Will you choose life or will you choose death? Joshua chapter 24, 15, and if, and it, and if it is seen, seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the God of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. We have a choice. Over and over again in scriptures, we see this choice. Isaiah chapter 65, verse 11 and 12. But you who forsook the Lord, who, but you who forsake the Lord, who forget my holy mountain, who set a table for fortune and fill cups of mixed wine for destiny, I will, I will destine you to the sword and all of you shall bow down to the slaughter because when I called, you did not answer. When I spoke, you did not listen, but you did what was evil in the sight and, and chose what I did not delight in. There's a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof is destruction. That's the word of God. God, help us. Elijah on Mount Carmel implied a choice. He said in 1 Kings 18 and 21, and Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you waver? How long will you hesitate? How long will you falter? How long will you go on limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. I think that's the struggle in our society today, there's a whole lot of people that are straddling the fence. And they're silent. They're quiet. They're not engaged. They're afraid of the intimidation of the enemy. I mean, think. You know, the question these days is, if God is such a loving God, right? I mean, would he punish would he punish people for not, making, for, for not making a choice that he's the one that gives them the strength to make? He's given them grace. He's given them mercy. He's given them faith. In other words, he's given them the ability, the power. He's given them the strength. He's given them everything they need, according to Ephesians chapter 1, to be able to make the right choice. But we still have to choose. That not of yourself is a gift of God. In this, salvation is not by works. It's not. It is a gift of God. We grasp that. We, we hold fast to that. Because I can't boast if it's not of works, right? But I do have a responsibility for the faith that he's given me. Salvation is not of myself. It is a gift of God. Paul wrote to the Romans that the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. It isn't an, a wage earned. It isn't a, something I can grab a hold of. The, the wages of sin is death. I deserve death because that is what I've earned. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. I can't purchase it. 
not by works, lest any man should boast. You know, we have to operate in faith. I walk by faith, not by sight. Gideon was called by God. I'm closing if somebody wants to play. Gideon was called by God. And Gideon, when, when the Lord spoke to him, he said, Well, wait a minute. My dad's not here. He's the least of, the, he's the least of all the tribe. And I'm, I'm not very good either. <laughs> no, and the Lord said, No, no, I want you. I want you. Gideon said, well, wait, well, let me just see if this is really you, God. And he put out some fleeces, and you know how he tested the Lord. He put out a fleece, dry the next day. Okay, God, it's, it's you. There was 135,000 Midianites. The army was so big, so massive. Gideon called together the army of the Lord, and there were 32,000, 32,000. To me, it's already improbable that Israel would win. Think of it, 135,000, 32,000. But God told Gideon, he said, wait a minute. He said, so that the men will not say that, look what we have done. He said, I want you to reduce that number. He said, go to all the army and say, if you're afraid, then you can go home. 22,000 said, whoop, I'm done. <laughs> Peace out, dude. I'm going home. Right? 10,000. 10,000 is left. It's already improbable that 32,000 would be able to defeat 135,000. You do the math. And now there's 10,000. 10,000 would seem to be incapable of being able to defeat or even defend. And yet God says, so that they won't be able to brag about their abilities in winning this war, I want you to reduce that number down. He said, take them by the creek, and when they drink water, if they put their face in the water, then they're not ready for the battle. But if they drink with their hands, with their eyes looking up, then they're ready. Well, guess what? 9,700 had to go home. Guess what number there is left? 300. 300. 300 against 135,000 troops. Let me tell you something, guys. Faith allows us to do the impossible. We're saved, for by grace you're saved through faith that not of yourself is a gift of God. For, for Israel, the gift was that God already had the end results in mind. That God knew that they would defeat the Midianites. If there was one, God would have defeated the the Midianites. But these 300 had to have a faith 
to be willing to go out to battle. These 300 had to be willing to suit up. These 300 had to say, okay, Lord, this doesn't look good. Lord, this is overwhelming. Lord, this is intimidating. But if God be with us, who can be against us? If God is fighting the battle, then I'm not afraid. And if I die, I die. Because for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I know that he's writing my story. I know that that he is the perfecter of my faith. I know that by me stepping into this battlefield that God is with me and he will secure my victory. We live in such a time that it's time to walk in faith. It's time to set aside the fear of what others of this world might try to use against us. It's time that we carry the message of God boldly to a people who are lost and dying who need to hear the truth of God's word. For we're saved by grace. For by grace you're saved through faith that not yourself is a gift of God. There's a whole lot of people, Sister Linda. So good to see you. There's a whole lot of people who need to receive this gift. We have it. Salvation. We don't save people. God saves people. It is a gift of God. But we have a faith that is the container to deliver the message to a world who needs Jesus. People are watching your faith. People are watching how you are interacting. People are watching how you respond to the things. This, the idea, even I read a scripture a few moments ago out of 1 Peter that, look, for a little while we may have some, some trials. Matter of fact, it used many trials for a short season. How many know that your life is just a short season? It appears for a little while, the Bible says, and then vanishes away. But that short season, we have a responsibility to be the people of God, to be the children of God who He's called us to be. Mark chapter 11, Jesus told His disciples, He said, and this is the parable of the fig tree, He says, have faith in God. And then he tells them, he says, if you have faith in God and you believe without doubting, you can say to this mountain, be thou uprooted and cast into the sea and it will be done. Look, there's no formula. I think I, 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 get, I get frustrated with churches who like to label a formula, name it and claim it and blab it and grab it. It's not a formula like that. But there is the object of our faith, and it is in God. We have to believe 
that he is and that he is a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. We have to believe God. We have to believe that he is capable of doing what he says. Right? Not a formula. We just believe God. And if we'll believe God, God is capable of doing the impossible. Amen? Is there somebody today that you're believing for? Is there someone today that you say, man, they need to receive salvation. And I'm believing for them. Today, I'm standing in the gap for them because I know that this this grace of God is for everyone. He made it available for everyone. He's given everyone a measure of faith. If you're wanting to pray today and you're believing for somebody, let's join together and let's believe that their faith that has been given to them will arise. That they will be awakened by the truth of God. That they will recognize that the only way is the way of God. And that And that even today, that something will spark in them. Think about this. In in Isaiah chapter 6, when they saw the the Lord high and lifted up, it was the seraphim that were standing around the throne, covering their eyes, covering their feet. And it was them crying out, holy, holy, holy. And Isaiah said this. When he saw it, he said, woe is me. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. He recognizes sin. But this is what happened. Seraphim, the root word of seraphim is to set on fire. (laughs) Come on, somebody. And something happened. The seraphim took the coals off of the altar of God, and it went down and it touched Isaiah's, Isaiah's lips and he was set on fire. Look, there's some of us, we've been attending, we've been participating, but we need to be set on fire. We need to recognize there's a fire from God that wants to set us on fire. If you've been just a smoldering ember, if you've just been a smoke, that you've been sending smoke signals to God, He's ready for you to get on fire for Him. He's ready for you to be empowered by the Spirit of God for the coals of the altar of God to touch your lips and to transform you. Today, we can be transformed by the power of God. Today, we can believe together for lost souls to be saved today. If you'd say, Pastor, I, wanna, I want you to join with me. I want to believe together that my loved one will be saved. I want to believe together that I will be set on fire. Would you be willing to come this morning? Would you join me? I want to be set on fire. I want to be lit up for the glory of God. I want my loved one to be saved. I want my sons and daughters, my spouse, my co-worker. I want to see them experience the love of God to be transformed by the power of God. God, have your way, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. You can make yourself an altar here. You can stand If you would like to join 
behind some of these and believing. Would you come and stand behind them? Would you lay your hands on them? Look, there's people going through stuff that we don't even know about in this room right now. Struggling. Let's stand in the gap for them this morning. Amen. Amen. Storms may collide, but my soul is 
Thank you, God, that we can trust in you. Thank you, God, for the gift of salvation. Thank you, God, for the gift of faith. Lord, I pray that we will walk by faith and not by sight. That we'll walk in your truth. That we'll grow in your faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Do allow your Word to stir us, to draw us closer to you. Lord, that we will be empowered by your truth. Lord, to shine to a dark world who needs to know you. Lord, let the fire fall. Let the coals of the altars of the seraphim that have come to set us on fire. Let us be set on fire for your glory. Let the passion burn in us for a lost world to be saved. Transform us. Use us. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you love the Lord? Amen. So thankful for you guys. Tonight we're going to be at North Lenore Church of God. And I believe that this same presence that we're experiencing this morning is just going to continue to flow. Love you to come out and be a part of that great service. If you would like a ride, um, please come see me. I will. If there's enough, I'll take the van. If there's just a handful, we'll just pile up in my car and we'll go. But uh, if you want to go, we'd love to have you guys. It's going to be a great time. I'm just believing for great things to take place. I'm st- I don't know. I believe this is the year of revelation for this church. I believe that God is revealing himself to us in a deeper way. And I'm hungry. Are you hungry? I know you're hungry for food because it's past mealtime. But I'm hungry for God too. Come on, right? God bless you guys. Love on somebody. Let them know you're happy to see them once again. Uh, remember the announcements and hopefully Lord willing we'll see you tonight bless you guys